When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Weekend Review Show. Another weekend and another weekend of Premier League action. And it's all beginning to feel very real now. Obviously the absence of fans from stadiums is still a massive factor, but the return of an old favourite nil-nil draw yesterday, it does feel like it's more of the same old Premier League. And that is fantastic. And that goalless draw at Old Trafford is the first game that we're going to be looking at on tonight's show, followed by Liverpool's return to winning ways after they beat Sheffield United 2-1 at Anfield. That's coming up in Part two, and then in the final slot, we'll be discussing the end of Everton's unbeaten Premier League run so far this season after they lost at Southampton. And as well as that, there's going to be all the other Premier League action from the last 48 hours. My name's Fergal Brennan, and to power through all of that, I'm joined by two characters that are definitely no stranger to a nil-nil draw in the pouring Manchester rain. We have freelance football journalist Rob Blanchett. Rob, how are we? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Fergal? I'm very, very well. Dried off from the air, talked about Manchester rain? Just about. Just about, just about. And someone who's definitely felt the pitter-patter of Manchester rain on his head is Jay Motti from the Stretford Paddock Podcast. Jay, how are we doing? I'm loving it. I'm loving the intro. Two characters. Very well said. <laughs> two, two characters and a load of rain. Definitely. Well, it sums you two up brilliantly. Uh, so with that in mind, that's where we're going to start. Rainy, rainy, rainy Old Trafford. Nil-nil, Manchester United against Chelsea. I'm going to be honest, this game was pretty poor. Frank Lampard and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at full-time, Jay, were both kind of arguing the toss over who kind of got a point and a half or two points out of this. No manager ever goes, great, we got a draw, brilliant. Um, who was the winner from this? Lampard, Solskjaer, United, Chelsea. Who, who do you think got more from this result? I mean, it almost feels like a draw in every sense of the word. I don't think anyone can really sort of take much away from it in terms of the managers. I had a sneaky feeling just before the game that there was almost an underlying sense that a draw would suit both managers. I felt that Oli was under a little bit of pressure. I know we just won in PSG, but our league form, to lose, if we'd have lost that, to lose three league games already this early in the season, I mean, people lose their minds with Oli going to Solskjaer at the best of times, but something like that would send everyone into a bit of a meltdown. Whereas Frank Lampard, this season, he didn't. he's not got the honeymoon period he had last season. Questions are going to be asked. He spent a lot of money. Um, and I think that now people expect a bit more from him. So if I had to push, because I know you want to answer to your question, I'd probably say that Oli probably, for me, got a little bit more out of it in the sense that it ended that awful sort of... Um, run of losses in, in the, at home anyway and he had to sort of get something out of that because I think if he'd have lost or if we'd have lost against Chelsea at home then he'd have been in a real sort of serious trouble and I felt of the two teams yes you can I know you're probably going to get into it and you can argue about the Maguire incident but I felt if anyone was going to win it was Manchester United I thought the, the, the lad in goal for Chelsea uh, Mendy I thought he had a very very good game I think you you know mentioned earlier that he was or it's been mentioned that it was his first time since Petr Cech in 2006, his back-to-back clean sheets for a, a Chelsea keeper, which or a new Chelsea keeper, which is phenomenal. Um, and I'm just a bit annoyed that it was him and not Kepa we were facing from a United point of view. 
Rob, obviously Solskjaer is going to look at this game and, and he is going to pull the positives from it. In his post-match interview, he talked about the Rashford chance right at the end that Mendy just tipped it over the bar and he was talking about if fans had been in the stadium, they might have sucked it into the top corner. Home form for United, e- even without fans in Old Trafford, is obviously going to be central. And three Premier League games at Old Trafford so far this season and this is the first point. Defeat to Tottenham and defeat to Crystal Palace. Solskjaer knows that regardless of whether fans are induced, introduced into grounds later in the season, ultimately United chances of a top four finish and, and meeting the objectives that the supporters expect from him and the players, Old Trafford form is going to be absolutely central to that. Well, yes and no. What I will say today is at the moment, I think with the way that we're set up after COVID, is that there are no home games or away games. Every game is neutral. Um, Chelsea didn't come to Old Trafford yesterday scared, did they? There was no fans there to actually uh, turn the atmosphere. So I, I agree with what Ole was saying after the game about getting fans back in the ground and when we can finally get to that stage. Of course, traditionally, a home form is really important. But I think you have to look at the wider picture with United at the moment. They are, I think, six points off the top. Um, we're uh, eight games into the season overall, one five, drawn one, lost two. Not fantastic, but also not a, the complete disaster that maybe some people are saying. Um, and United, obviously, the home form has to improve over time. Uh, there, there are mitigating circumstances. I think all of the top clubs who were in Europe last year, you've seen that their early season form has been erratic, to say the least, whether that be Liverpool and City as well with Manchester United. And it's all about trying to get through that uh, pre-season now where, where you can actually get back to full fitness and I think we're seeing that now with Manchester United um, Obviously Rashford is the player that stood out particularly second half Jay and, and at the moment for me Marcus Rashford he can't do any wrong every single morning he seems to find a new way to, to impress me and make me like and love him just a little bit more but in a difficult game if there was going to be a goal it, it did seem to be coming from him he had the chance in the first half and then the one that we mentioned before that Solskjaer touched on that he that he was denied by Mendy with a few minutes to go what we're seeing from him and, and we also saw this from Bruno Fernandes is a demand of the players around them the amount of times in the second half they were shouting at Dan James shouting at Luke Shaw even Juan Mata who's who's more experienced than both of them demanding more from them in terms of movement in terms of effort because they knew that Chelsea were probably happy to sit in for a point is that what United need it need at the moment is this is this a more of a player thing more of a tactics thing or do you think the mentality is is a little bit of an issue at the moment that that little bit of grit to get results against rival teams isn't quite there and, and people like Rashford and Fernandez demanding it is what's needed I think I think it's always good when you've got players that demand it and I think that when United struggled last season at times was because we didn't have that level of sort of determination or that like you saying players who were sort of G and the teammates up and demanding more from the teammates when we had the likes of and I don't want to sort of bash them but there was a time when we were over reliant on the likes of Pereira and Lingard and players like that that weren't performing very well and there was almost a sort of a feeling throughout the team that you didn't have any leaders you didn't have anyone who was always going to be getting a little bit angry almost when things weren't going our way and you've got that in Bruno Fernandes he's sort of um, raise the levels up of those around him Marcus Rashford who I think last time I was on I was speaking to you about you know he's United through and through and he, he hurts when we lose you can see it you've seen it in his post-match interviews he cares and he's he's that type of character as well I think the main issue for United isn't the fact that you've got players that aren't necessarily going to be very vocal or, or leaders I think one of the, the issues we've got now is getting the right balance and playing some of our better players because Oli's obviously come in at the beginning of the season and relied on Bruno and Pogba and plays like that. And he, I think he admitted it yesterday, or he spoke about Paul Pogba yesterday, saying that you know he, he maybe rushed him back after he'd been ill with COVID and that's why he, he's not featured as much recently. And I think now you just want to get to that point where we can have Bruno, Pogba, Martial when he comes back, and or maybe Cavani or whatever, have a much stronger team than we had out yesterday. Because, listen, I love Juan Mata. I, I think Fred's done a, a decent job. And I like McTominay as well. But I think if you know you pick your strongest 11, which you should be doing for a team like Chelsea, you're not going to start with Juan Mata. You're not going to start with Dan James. You're probably not going to start with, with both Fred and McTominay. You're going to be expecting players like Nemanja Matic, like you know, Martial on his back, or, or Cavani, or even, um, you know, Paul Pogba or even Van der Beek who you mentioned so that's what Oli needs to do now is get that right balance get the players who are our better players back in the team and hopefully we can move forward because as, as everyone said you know our home form is shocking it's nothing to get too despondent about I mean we're only five league games into it but 
as Rob said, you know, people will lose their minds with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and you don't want it to become a thing for him. So, you know, you want to start picking up points and just moving up that table because, you know, we're only six points off the top and it's only early days. It's not all doom and gloom. And Rob, Jay's touched on him there, Donny van der Beek. And uh, according to my emergency arithmetic that I've done in the last few minutes, he's got the grand total of about 75 minutes of Premier League football under his belt after coming from Ajax this summer. He's yet to start a Premier League game. And Solskjaer was asked about him again in his, in his post-match interview. He, he didn't get on against Chelsea. And there was plenty of camera shots of him looking quite despondent in that much-talked-about rain. Where does he fit into this team? When, when you look at a performance like last night, he doesn't seem to be the type of player that's going to come on and get a goal or maybe create a goal. Or, or is he? Or, or maybe maybe we're looking at him in the wrong way. But he doesn't seem to be... There doesn't seem to be a situation at the moment where Solskjaer thinks you're the person to do a specific job. He just seems to be throwing him on for 10, 15 minutes here and there. I think there's been a lot of bluster about Donny van der Beek. You know, ultimately, he's just come to a new football club. There's time to settle. Obviously, he was a big signing as well. But I think when you look at United's system of what we've played maybe in the last two or three games, van der Beek doesn't really suit that if you're looking to play a low block and you're playing two central defensive midfielders as McTominay and Fred have played. So I think, again, it's maybe a little bit of excitement over nothing. He will play games. He's been bought as an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sign-in. It was the manager that picked him. And I believe that he will be a starter in the weeks to come. But, you know, as Jay touched on there, you know, I think Ole picked a side early on to try and do the job. And we saw what happened against Crystal Palace. And that was the kind of trigger for for the, the weeks ahead, for, uh, ending up with the Spurs result at 6-1. Something had to change. So United's uh, change of personnel. And we saw, obviously, that worked uh, in Paris the other night. And I think, by and large, yesterday, it was a goalless draw. It wasn't particularly exciting. But they did nullify Chelsea. And this was a Chelsea attack that spent quite a lot of money on you players to, to come to places like Old Trafford and win. Um, obviously, you two guys can talk about Manchester United all day. We're going to flick over to Chelsea just for a second. Um, Jay, two shots on target for Frank Lampard's side. There's probably not an awful lot to write home about from, from them on an attacking position. But Edward Mendy that you mentioned there, that excellent start of Premier League clean sheets. It's three clean sheets in all competitions since he's come in. And when you look at a Chelsea side that all we seem to talk about in the first few weeks of the season is they can't defend. They're great going forward. They get goals. They create chances, but they just can just drop a ricket at the back. With him in the team and other players in front of him, do you think Lampard has at least put a stick in plaster over the problem for the season ahead? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you use the term stick in plaster, but Chelsea, there always seems to be this air of it's all about now or never. It's never long term. It's about sorting out the immediate issues. And that's why you sort of have this conveyor belt of managers that come in. They're usually there for two or three seasons and then they move on. It's very rarely you'll see a Chelsea manager come in and start thinking, well, what I need to do for the next five or six years is plan ahead because you're like not going to be there. And I know Lampard used a lot of youngsters last season, but that was because he had to, because of the transfer ban and they called in the... 112 loanees or whatever they had out something ridiculous and he started using the players like Sam Abraham and Mason Mount but this season as you mentioned every game was about Kepa it was this you know Petr Cech's now registered as a player whatever it is it, it became a bit of a circus regarding the goalkeeper and that's going to filter through to some of your defenders as well when you can't rely on your goalkeeper to the levels that Chelsea couldn't because some of the goals they were conceding were to be brutally honest were horrific now you've got this keeper comes in he's going to get that's going to give confidence to your defenders it's going to make attackers that you're facing less confident they're going to realise they're up against someone here who's, who's up to the job so I think that that's a massive bonus for Chelsea because that had been their overline issue and yes you mentioned there as well someone like Thiago Silva I thought played very well yes they did what he had to do he's got that experience you, you know you need someone like that your team he's been there he's won a t-shirt so I think these are sort of the likes of Silva and, and, and now they brought in Chilwell as well defensively and, and now Mendy is a keeper as well. They've made some signings there to, to strengthen at the back and I think overall now they're a lot better off than they were at the beginning of the season and if I was a Chelsea fan I'd be feeling pretty confident because as you just mentioned, attacking-wise, they've not got much to, to worry about and I think midfield are quite strong as well. It was only sort of defensively goalkeeper with the main issues and, and Mendy is that type of signing that if he is as good as he looks then he can make a massive difference. Rob, obviously Thiago Silva, the mistakes that he made against West Brom were, were highlighted, but we probably all should have known better. And me included, I, I'll hold my hands up and say that I didn't think he'd, he'd be able to adjust to the Premier League as quickly as he, as he has done. Because whilst he's obviously Brazilian international, and he's, as Jay say, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, worn the T-shirt, probably thrown the T-shirt in the bin. He's, he's been playing that long. Three clean sheets in his last three games, the same as Mendy. 
how does Lampard play him this season? He was brought in, you would say, to add experience for the big games, maybe for the Champions League games. But given the fact that they are so light at centre-back, they're going to have to stretch him quite thin. Where does Lampard prioritise playing him this season? Is it in the Premier League or, or is it in, in other competitions? I think it will just be where he's needed. You know, There's no doubt that he's a great, experienced defender. But I still would question in terms of the Premier League where teams will try and get him behind you and your Jamie Vardy's are going to run you, that that might really lean on his weaknesses. So I think he's a, a good signing for a year, potentially maybe two years. But I don't think it's a long-term option. I think Mendy's done really well as he's, he's come in. I think if Kepa plays yesterday United win so it just shows how important that position is of course as a goalkeeper something we've debated at United with De Gea and Henderson in recent weeks uh, but I think Chelsea are kind of on the on the right steps now to to progressing the the signings have all been great however because they are young it might take time for them to actually mesh and it could be that this is another kind of transitional season for Lampard in terms of putting this team together yeah, I would agree. And I think there's still steps to be made, but those experienced figures in certain parts of the team, we've seen it with Premier League sides in the past, that they do make a massive a massive difference, particularly if you're challenging for, for top four or maybe even have designs on the Premier League title. Uh, with that in mind, we're going to call it there for part one. You guys have done a brilliant job, almost as good as Lampard and Solskjaer did yesterday at stringing out a nil-nil draw. Congratulations. You should both be accepting Premier League managerial jobs in the very near future. As for the podcast, we'll be back in a few minutes. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sports Social. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Weekend Review Show. My name's Fergal Brennan and I'm joined by Rob Blanchett and Jay Motti. Now, before the break, we talked about Manchester United's nil-nil draw against Chelsea. We're going to talk about a goal, uh, sorry, a game that actually had some goals in this time and that is Liverpool getting back to winning ways at home to Sheffield United. Now... Jay, I'm sure you'll look at this and say, crisis, what crisis at Liverpool? Because it's all been about Virgil van Dijk in the last week or so. But this was their first game without arguably their most important player. Fabinho stepped in at centre-back. And I want to look at his performance because there's going to be so much pressure on him if he is chosen by Jurgen Klopp to, to revert from midfield into centre-back in the coming months. He gave away a penalty against Ollie McBurney, which put Liverpool behind. But other than that, he was arguably Liverpool's best player yesterday. When we look at the example of Manchester City last season when Laporte was out for such a long time and Fernandinho stepped in, we've seen examples of Brazilian defensive midfielders in the northwest to draw a wide comparison, being able to play at centre-back. Can, can Fabinho do it based on the bits you've seen? I, I think he can. I think there's a massive difference between what happened at Manchester City and what's happening with Liverpool. Um, I think with City, I think they, the part of the problem for me, when you put Fernandinho in the defence, wasn't what Fernandinho did defensively, it's the fact that he was such a massive player for them in midfield. I think I think Fernandinho's been one of the best midfielders in the Premier League over the last 10 years. I really do. And I, you know, I'm not, I've got no skin in the game here. I'm not praising a City player for no reason. I'd rather not have him been brutally honest. But I just think he does that job. You're, you're struggling to name your favourite Liverpool and City, but you love them both so much, you're struggling to pull them apart. I understand, I understand. <laughs> it's like, I've got my half and half scarf here. Um, yeah, you know, I think he has. He, he does that job and he does it very well of just getting hold of the ball and giving it to someone else to, to sort of to go down the business end of the pitch but I think when they took him out of that midfield and put him in defence I thought he did okay defensively but you're looking at likes of I don't know was it um, Rodri and Gundogan or whoever it was um, Gundogan sorry and, and other players like that in the city midfield didn't quite do the job there I look at Liverpool and I think they've got options there in midfield I think Fabinho in answer to your first question yes he can do a job defensively and I think he, he sort of showed that already but I think they've also got other players in midfield Thiago Alcantara who's not a tackling type of midfielder, but he can, you know, he can get hold of the ball. But he's someone who can do that sort of job. You've got, I think, you know, you've got like someone Alderman who can almost play there. Naby Keita's still there, so they've got options. So I wouldn't be obviously you're gonna miss Virgil Van Dijk, but I wouldn't be too worried about Fabinho going in there because I think he can do a job defensively, and I think they've got other options in midfield, which means for me it's a better fit than it was for Fernandinho going in defence to say for say. Rob, when you look at this, as we said, it's an eerie comparison of Laporte getting injured last season and Fernandinho filling in and now Van Dijk and Fabinho. And Man City fans, if you're listening to this, you're doing brilliantly. You've listened through Manchester United's match and you've listened through now Liverpool. So stick with us. We will be getting to City later on. But 
when you look at the way Liverpool set up yesterday with Wijnaldum and Henderson, they've had to rejig that midfield. And, and Rob, as, as Jay said, yes, they have Thiago to come back into the team, but so much of what Klopp has built that midfield around is the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And when you move such an important player like Fabinho 10, 15 yards further back... Do you lose that ability to force the issue in midfield and get the ball forward to the likes of Mane and Salah and Firmino? Yeah, I think I'm of the other opinion from what Jay was saying there. I think if you play Fabinho and Gomez as your central defensive partnership, you're not going to win the league. It's as simple as that. You know, I think Fabinho is a defensive player. He can do all sorts of things. He can play out from the back. But when you actually compare what Van Dijk does for that team and then you're saying to a, a defensive midfielder to drop back and play that role, you know, Liverpool's aspiration is to defend the title, you know, and to go and win the Champions League. You're not going to win the Champions League with those two players at the heart of your team. They're both very good players and what they do as a, of a normal week for Liverpool. But I think if you're pairing them up and expecting them to, to defend the championship, you've got no chance. Yeah, I think Thiago's uh, signing allows Klopp to do this because obviously he can play as a number six and play deeper as a ball player and get the ball forward, something that Fabinho did very well last season. But I would not be confident if I was a Liverpool fan, if I was seeing Fabinho as my my you know my my leader in the middle of the the back four and then obviously Gomez's form has been up and down it might be a case that they have to go into the January transfer window and buy a new defender but Jay when you look at this situation and and January obviously is an option for Klopp to go out and buy a centre-back particularly if Liverpool are, are in a position where they're not top of the league or they're kind of third fourth there or thereabouts but it is rare that you're able to find a, a little golden nugget in the January transfer market how does Klopp play this does he stick with what he's got does he look to rotate his options or is he kind of being backed into a corner where he's got to go for broken January I mean, time will obviously tell. You know, you you see where you are in January, and and you know, I have you ended up as Robert's pointed out, where you've got players that haven't been good enough to to help you defend the title, or have you managed to carry it through? Where you look at you go, do you know what? This hasn't been too bad. This is working out. We can we can carry on as we are. I think that that depends on the results between now and January. I think if he if it's not working out, or if there are question marks and it doesn't look like Virgil Van Dijk is going to be a, you know obviously unavailable for quite a while then yeah, I mean, Liverpool haven't gone ballistic in the transfer market recently. They, they haven't spent a lot of money of late, so relatively speaking. So you think that the board would back Klopp if he goes to them and says, listen, you know, I've delivered the Champions League, I've delivered the Premier League, I've, I've lost my main player or my most important player. You know, I need I need to bring someone in. And I think that if that happens, there should be players available that they can go out and get who can come in and strengthen. But it's too early to tell now whether that's going to happen. I mean... In theory, Fabinho from Van Dijk is a massive step down, but you wait and see. You wait and see what happens in January. You've still got a few months yet, and then in January you can say, right, okay, we're going to have to spend, or we're doing okay, and we'll see how it goes. Because you know, Klopp might look at it and go, you, you, you guys have got me here. We're still top of the league, or we're still fighting for the title. I'll stick with you. It just depends how the results go between now and January. And Sheffield United, Rob, another game and another lack of a win and, and another frustrating situation for, for Chris Wilder to deal with. They've really struggled so far this season, just one point from six games, and that was against Fulham, who are the only team that have actually been worse than them so far in 2020-21. The issue again came up last season and, and it's become more of a problem now, the lack of a goal scorer. They were able to cut it last season because they had fantasy football legend John Lundstrom getting the odd goal or they could rely on a defender scoring from a set piece now that's not the case they need Billy Sharp or Ollie McBurney or David McGoldrick or somebody to step up because as we talked about there with, with Liverpool buying a centre-back in January January could be too late for Sheffield United and for Chris Wilder if they don't find a goal scorer very very soon yeah, I think they're fighting a relegation battle this year. That's my personal opinion. I think when you look at what they did last year and that, that incredible first season when they came up, you know, tactically they were, be, they were able to undo teams and with their overlapping centre-backs and their, their kind of different ways of doing things in the Premier League, it really hurt opponents. I think people have worked them out this year. You know, yesterday, uh, the, the game against Liverpool, uh, they had 13 attempts on goal. But like you're just saying there, it's just really about their firepower. And I think you'll be able 
able to nullify Sheffield United more this season than you could last year. And that puts them in that mix, I think, for the bottom six. And it any of those teams could go down. And again, they really have to look at their resources. They brought in Brewster, obviously, and he could be a guy that, that pops and goes off in the weeks ahead if he, he kind of uh, rises to the task as a striker. But I think it's going to be a really, really tough long season for Sheffield United. And Jay, obviously Brewster's a very interesting one. It doesn't really seem to fit with uh, Wilder's style of transfer market moves this summer or, or any time when he's been in charge of the Blades. He, he generally looks to players that have got a little bit of a point to prove, maybe that have played Premier League football before and it didn't work out for them. Someone like Brewster, who is clearly talented, if you speak to anyone involved with Liverpool or Liverpool fans, they will say that it was kind of through gritted teeth to, to sell him to Sheffield United. But it's a hell of a lot of pressure to throw on his shoulders when, you know, the name that I said there before McBurney or McGoldrick or Sharp who's got that record for the most goals outside the Premier League um, are not doing it what does what does Wilder do in terms of these, this idea of tactics as Rob touched on there before they were a little bit of a surprise ding 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 surprise package last season that's not the case now they, they don't really have a plan B and they don't have the squad to, to rotate it, 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 as other sides do I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. Don't, when you've not got a, a plan B and you've not got a squad to rotate, then you've got to rely on the players that you've got and you've got to sort of convince them or get them performing to the levels they were last season. I mean, let's not forget Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea there. Sheffield United had a, a great season last season, a, a pretty fantastic season, being brutally honest. No one expected them to do what they did. And I think, you know, they, they ex- surpassed all expectations for, because they were playing well, because they had players that could perform in the Premier League. And you've got to get that belief back. You've got to sort of go to these players and say, look, you know, look at what happened last season. Look at the results you got. Look where we finished. You know, that wasn't a fluke. That wasn't by chance. We deserve to, to be there. We deserve to be challenging in the top half of the table. And at one point, even being, you know, it looked like they were going to get into Europe. So he's got to sort of get his, this squad reinvigorated. They can't rely on the likes of Ryan Brewster. At least he looks like he's the tally of the But for me, he doesn't come into this Sheffield United team and, and, and he's the answer. I think they've got to go back to the players like you mentioned that, that, that were there last season, that, that performed last season. And Wilder's just got to get them going again. He's got to say, listen, you know, forget about all this sort of nonsense of second season syndrome and all this sort of stuff. Last season, you show what you can do. You've just got to do it again this season. It's not going to be easy, but... I mean, what are the other options there? Like you say, you know, he hasn't got a massive squad at his disposal. January, even if he does get to January, how much money have, have Sheffield United realistically got to spend anyway? I think he's just got to try and get a tune out of the players he's got and you know get that belief back again because last season Sheffield United went into every game, every game I saw them, especially you know against Manchester United. I know the, the game towards the end of the season against United wasn't great, but one where we think we drew three up, they had that belief. You know, this wasn't a team that had just come up to, to make up the numbers. You got the sense that they they believe that when they steps out on that pitch in the Premier League, they can get a win, and he's got to get them believing again. Um, would you agree with Rob that they're in a relegation battle based on the early season form, or do you, do you think they've got enough to dig themselves out of it? Of course, they're in a relegation battle. Rob's absolutely right. You know, you look at it now, and it's is it one point? I think is it from yeah, one point from, from six. The, the, 1.6, that's that's as relegation form as you can get. And, you know, you, there's no point in kidding yourselves and thinking, oh, well, it's only early season. That's horrific form. You have to start turning that around. But you have to be brutally honest. If Sheffield United finish one point above the relegation zone by the end of the season, I think they'll be they'll be happy with that. To stay in the Premier League has to be the main goal, despite the sort of heroics of last season. And as I said earlier, you know, Wilder's just got to get that into his players and go, listen, you know, we're in a relegation battle, but... Last season, we were at the right end of the table. We can get there again this season or we can move out of this trouble we're in this season if we can get back to those levels. And, you know, you guys are the ones to get me there. Yeah, I'm, I'm never going to go against my uh, my alleged beloved Blades. I built my entire reputation uh, on this show on them last season, so I'm going to back them to get out of it. And just to give Jay a, a quick sleepless night, uh, Sheffield United are 19th at the moment, but another United, Manchester United, are only in 15th. So something for Jay to think about during the break. In part three, we're going to be talking about Everton, whose unbeaten Premier League run has come to an end after they lost at Southampton. And we're going to be talking about all the other Premier League action over the weekend. Catch you in a minute. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. 
Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, if you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new podcast every single day. We are your go-to source on all things related to the Premier League, transfer gossip, opinion, match previews, match reviews, everything. Every single day, one of us is talking about football and you absolutely love to hear it. You can also keep up to date with your own team. If you have an Amazon Alexa device or a Google Home smart speaker, you can simply ask Alexa to enable Sport Social, select your team and away you go. Right, we've called Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool and Sheffield United. The only other team that was left in the Premier League this weekend with an unbeaten start was Everton. But Rob, it all came crashing down at Southampton. If you looked at this game based on Everton's form heading into it, Southampton, with the greatest respect in the world, I've done okay so far this season. I do like Ralph Hasenhutland and what he's trying to do there. But Everton just looked like they'd run out of steam. Yeah, it all went a bit Everton, didn't it? That it was did, really indeed. Kind of what happened. <laughs> you know, they looked very Everton today rather than what they have looked in recent weeks. Would you say uh, I don't sorry, would you say would you say they look like David Moyes' Everton instead of Carlo Ancelotti's Everton? Not not quite David Moyes' Everton, but uh what I would say is that obviously with Charleston out of the team, uh, and we you know, there was big rumours obviously before that uh Hamas Rodriguez wasn't going to play because he had a knock. So there's all of these things, these factors to put in and obviously Lucas Dina getting himself sent off at the end uh, didn't really help. So I think it was one of those days that where you can just put it down to a bad day at the office. You know, I think uh I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin only had two touches in the opposition box today. So when you look at those kind of stats and the creativity that wasn't there, which has been there obviously in, the, in recent weeks, uh, they were probably due a bad game. But I think you've also got to give credit to Southampton. They're a, a pragmatic team. They'll always work you. They worked Manchester United last year when every, uh, both times that they played them. And you can see that the Southampton team is a team on the up. And I think the last year, Hassan who deserves tons of credit. He's really bought, built a, a fantastic team. And when you've got a goal scorer like Danny Ings in your side you can really go and beat teams uh, Jay we're going to touch back on Southampton in a second but Everton fans have obviously been delighted with the start to the season Dominic Calvert-Lewin banging in goals and the three marquee signings of, of Rodriguez Alan and Abdullah Decore have, have knitted brilliantly in that midfield but one of the concerns that, that reared its head at the St Mary's Stadium was this lack of depth off the bench when things weren't going for them Rob's obviously touched there that Richarlison was out and, and Seamus Coleman was missing at right back as well the players that they could bring on were Bernard and Fabian Delph now if you're pushing for Europa League potentially even Champions League Dominic Calvert-Lewin can be scoring all the goals you want and James Rodriguez can be creating chances and, and Alan can be winning the ball in midfield if you can't have a decent option coming off the bench you're ultimately going to struggle yeah of course and it, you know you have to ask yourself if you're an Everton fan and you know or, or Carl Ancelotti what is your ambition this season is it to, to like you mentioned get in the Champions League which you know maybe even in the summer people said oh that's ridiculous but after the start they had people say well why not but if you are going to do that then you need a squad you need to be able to bring in players and, and when you're relying on for me a lot of players who almost feel like mid-table players for me, even being brutally honest, they do. You know, the likes of Alex Lowellby, Gilvie Sigurdsson, they're still, you know, obviously featuring. You're saying then about bringing on Fabian Delph. Um, you know, a few years ago, yeah, Fabian Delph was a very useful player. Now, is he really? Is he, is, he a type, is he a Champions League type player? Is he a player that you'd expect to get a team into Champions League? Other squad players they've got as well. I'm not a massive fan and I know this is going to sort of wind up a lot of Everton fans but even like some like Tom Davies and players like that I just don't think they're that, that top level and I think they've got maybe four or five players that are around there you know you mentioned the likes of Dominic Cavalier and, and the signings they brought in maybe you could throw in Michael Keane into that as well um, I know he got sent off actually today but actually rate Lucas didn't you I think he's a good player but I think there's far too many players that are average I think that's the issue and I think it's going to take a little bit longer than maybe people think because Carl Ancelotti has come in made some good signings got everyone buzzing and people like you know great role great start to the season top of the league early doors and that sort of thing and, and if anybody anyone deserves a bit of uh, you know something to sing about it's Everton fans I think they've probably had the worst time of it than any, of anyone recently in the Premier League but in terms of squad depth I mean you know even when you scratch just I've literally scratched past that first nine eleven it's not great and I think that's the issue I think it's going to take a little while for, for this team to get to levels where they're challenging for the Champions League I think you know you may be looking at next season being that, that season I don't want to get too melodramatic because I know they've only lost one game this season but as you mentioned there the players that come in they aren't that great and I think even in the starting 11 there's one or two players where you might sort of say 
is he good enough? Even the goalkeeper, for me, I think there's a massive question mark over him. Rob, obviously Calvert-Lewin, there's been huge talk about him. Excellent the first few weeks of the season, banging goals in for Everton. He got his call up to the England squad, scored on his England debut. Everything is, is going in his favour. But he found it difficult against a, a fairly solid but unspectacular Southampton defence. And, defense. And, and Yannick Vestergaard and, and Jan Bedrenak, they're not defenders for me that Calvert-Lewin wants to be coming up against. The goal that he scored against Liverpool, I thought was excellent because he benefits from defenders that want to play and want to be progressive with the ball, the likes of Joe Gomez obviously that he got the jump on for that goal and and other defenders that he's he's got the better of so far this season but when he comes up against two big aerially strong centre backs you need another option and and as Jay Jay said there the the players coming off the bench and the squad and you look through the names and they're getting a bit thin I had to check if Umar Nias was still at the club he's he's not I can safely say that uh, Nias has left the building but Cech Tosin is, is probably the only other option to bring on Ancelotti's recruitment's been good but there's still some pretty big gaps in, in that Everton team there are gaps and I think you know they've lost one game this season we have to kind of taper expectations a little bit what I would say is I think this Everton first team is probably better than Leicester first team that won the Premier League a few seasons ago so I think the, the key here for Ancelotti is keeping people fit we saw today when there's a slight disturbance in the sense that they lost Richarlison and that James Rodriguez couldn't actually be at his best and obviously we saw Lucas Dini, who I also rate, uh, be sent off later in the game. It destroyed their equilibrium. So I think that's the trick. Ultimately, Everton now have a set of owners that have got money and they will invest in future transfer windows and this is a long-term project. So, you know, whatever they achieve this year would be, I think, a bonus and additional. They were my, my tip for an outside chance of getting in the top four and I haven't changed that at all. I still think that when they're all fit and raring to go, they're as good as many of that those teams in the top eight or nine. You know, I'd put them on a par with Manchester United at the moment in terms of personnel, but the depth is an issue. They do need to improve their bench, but it doesn't stop you from achieving if you can keep players fit. And as we saw that with Leicester City under Ranieri, their first 11 did the job, but their bench was absolutely thin. They didn't have anything else really there, one or two players to maybe come in and and help the main core of the group. But I think Everton are going in the right direction and I think Everton fans will be delighted with where their club is at the moment. Uh, Jay, Southampton, three wins and a draw in their last four games. Uh, We're all absolutely delighted that we don't have to talk about since that 9-0 defeat to Leicester. I'm so glad that we're not having to put that little asterisk on things anymore. One of the most impressive things I thought from them today, and yeah, Everton, as Rob mentioned, did have a bad day at the office, is a bit of a throwback to a 4-4-2. Oriol Romeo, James Ward-Prowse in midfield, working their socks off. Ward-Prowse got himself a goal. Romeo was was excellent at the kind of back of the midfield and Ings and Che Adams playing off each other. Given the fact that so few teams in the Premier League play that system anymore, do you think this could go positively for them and they'll catch teams on the hop? Or do you think that lack of a body in central positions against other sides might be a bit of an issue? No, I think I think yeah. I mean, it's obviously you know it's worked for them today, and and I, I rate the job there that that Hassan Hüttel's doing, and I think they deserve credit for sticking with him. I think we said this, you know, last season or when we were talking about that 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 result, and you know it looked like he was he was in trouble, and then they stuck with him, and, and some of the results they've got and the performances they've put in since then have been been outstanding, and I think that the the difference as well is is yes, okay, they're still very reliant on Danny Ings, and it's, it's you know he's their main man and he's their main goal threat, but They've got other players that can muck in as well, you know, Che Adams, but more than that, they've got other players who are, can put in in terms of performances, not necessarily the goals, but they've got some very good players there. And he's, you mostly, when you look at Southampton, you think, you know, I used to have a feeling when you play Southampton, oh, this would be an easy game. I don't feel like that anymore. And I think they have got some sort of very good, almost underrated players, you know, Romeo in the middle there. I think he does a fantastic job. You mentioned the centre backs as well, who can give anyone, you know, a tough afternoon. And I think that that is a good, solid team there with a very good manager. And I think that, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he's going to 4 4 2, like a traditional sort of setup. It's working for them got a great result today and, and they can build on that and Southampton just you know historically tends to be his club that you keep counting them out but they keep sort of surprising everyone yeah and I think we've all got to taper expectations Rob as you said and Everton have been excellent and Southampton will continue to impress us but there's, there's still such a huge amount of football to go that calling anything at this stage of the season is always a bit of a dangerous game uh, moving on West Ham won Manchester City won a little bit of a 
disappointing performance from Manchester City um, away from home against a team that, Rob, they've done brilliantly against in recent years. 4-0, 5-1 at the London Stadium in, in the last two seasons. Guardiola was kind of trying to squeeze some of the positives out of this at full time, but ultimately he's going to be frustrated that they couldn't get three points against a team that you would fully expect them to go and beat. And when you look at their record so far this season, it's only two Premier League wins. He will know, and he's made this point in the past, that they can't allow Liverpool to get up ahead of steam and get into, you know, even close to double figures ahead of them. How big a window does he have before City need to just go win, 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 win? I think he's got quite a big window. You know, I think this season's a unique season in the sense that all of the top teams who were in Europe last year, Manchester City obviously being one of them, they've all struggled for fitness. So I think what we saw in the game there in East London was that you have a West Ham team with their tails up who are playing well and the Manchester City team that's still trying to find their feet through their fitness without having a full pre-season. I think that affected the result heavily. I think in years gone by, you'd have seen City bite that game, come back quite hard and maybe score two, three, four goals and put the, the opposition away. But yes, they just didn't really have the running in the legs. And I think that's quite evident. One of the things Guardiola said uh, over the last couple of weeks in his pressers was exactly that about the fitness levels and that he's not happy with where his team is. I think City fans are going to have to be patient. It might take another two or three weeks to get to exactly where they want to be. And with these games coming thick and fast with Champions League, Premier League, Champions League, Premier League alternating every few days, that will get the running back into their legs and hopefully will get their squad back to fitness as soon as possible. Yeah, and I think... I do agree this idea that it's an exceptional season. Um, I, I also don't think Liverpool are no way near the level that they were last season, Jay. And City, when you look at the performances they've put in, they, they do seem that it's going to be any week now. It might take two weeks, it might take a month. But given the talent they've got and, and Aguero coming back and, and certain defenders coming back, that they're going to have to give someone a hiding pretty soon. Yeah, and they tend to do that, don't they, Manchester City? I mean, you know, when you sort of start counting them out or the, 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 they're up against it or whatever they can pull out a, a big result or a big scoreline against someone um, and you know Guardiola he might even say it publicly but publicly obviously but he'll have looked at that injury to Virgil van Dijk and he'll have thought to himself you know this is game on now you know this is a massive advantage for Manchester City they'll want to sort of regain the, the title obviously and, and that will give them a, a bit of a, a, a an advantage in doing that because Liverpool have lost such an important player and I think yeah, most people expect the top two to be Manchester City and Liverpool coming into the season or at least did in the summer I know it has been a bit of a crazy time as Rob said as well a lot of the teams that, that played a lot of football as towards the end of last season haven't got up to full fitness this season they, they haven't had the pre-season they wanted and you can tell that but City you know you talk about squad City still have a squad they've got options you know, and they've got one or two players there who are absolutely world class. So I, I always think like City, once they do kick in again, I think they will. Because I think the last season, in terms of some of the results they had, was was a bit of a shock for them. But I, I don't think it's going to go this way, that way again this season. I know they haven't had a great start, but I expect them to start picking up points. I think Phil Foden could have a big part to play this season. I think he's always one who's waiting for the sort of the, the, the season where he really makes a sort of claim as the main one of the main men at Manchester City and I think that might be it I think his record is you know he's very good at City when he, I think when he scores the win sort of thing and I know obviously he didn't play a lot yesterday I think he came on um, on, on Saturday sorry and, um, and again you know he, you can see the quality there it wasn't a great performance by City he was one of their better players so with the likes of Foden with De Bruyne with all the other players they've got and a manager like Pep Guardiola, you'd expect them to be moving up the table very quickly. And as you said, you know, yep, someone could be on the end of a hiding and come come the end of the season. I'd be very surprised if they weren't in the top two, and I'd actually be surprised if they weren't the top one. To be honest with you. Okay, um, it seems like quite a while ago that Leeds beat Aston Villa, but it is still part of the weekend uh, fixture list, and we'd be wrong to not talk about this. Rob Hattrick for Patrick, Hattrick for Patrick, Hattrick for Patrick Bamford. There we go, we got there in the end. Um, as Leeds won three nil away at Aston Villa, responded to defeat against Wolves last weekend, and obviously again, so much talk is about about Bielsa. It, it was almost nice that there was focus on someone other than the manager, and it was firmly on Bamford. 
I will admit that I was one of the people that thought not that he would be an absolute flop, that it, but that he would find it very difficult in the Premier League. Um, and that was based on the fact that in the Championship last season he was good, but he wasn't prolific. He didn't break twenty goals, but. I've been massively impressed with him and the role that he's playing, he's actually taken a little bit of the attention off some of the, the summer transfers that, that have come into the club. Yeah, I still think Bamford's going to struggle this season. I really do. Yes, <laughs> so do I. He, yes, yes. He, he, start, he started sensationally and he scored some goals and Leeds have looked good on the front foot. You know, they're playing an Aston Villa team that beat Liverpool 7-2, you know, a blink of an eye ago. And then they're going to Villa Park and beating them 3-0. It's a strange season because fitness levels are all over the place, you know, and it really is affecting scorelines. And I think Bamford's success in the opening weeks of the season has been partly because defences are not up to scratch and he's taken advantage of it. So I'm not trying to say anything away from him, but uh, I certainly think that as the season wears on and everyone gets fit and you find uh, that Leeds maybe come up against stronger defences, that Bamford himself, despite having this great start, scoring a hat-trick, you can't knock him for that. I think he might struggle in the latter parts of the season. Yeah, I, I was going for diplomacy there. I'm so pleased that Rob drew the truth out of me. I agree with that. I think he'll I think he'll get over ten. I think he'll break double figures, but anything more than that, um I'm willing to go on record and say I'd be absolutely shocked. Uh Jay, Aston Villa again a little bit frustrating it does seem to be back to the old talking about Jack Grealish and, and if if it's not Jack who will it be I know Ollie Watkins has been good for them in recent weeks he's got a few goals and John McGinn back in the team gives them that bit of energy but based on the defeat to Leeds there does still seem to be that thing of get it to Jack he'll do something when the game's not going in their favour yeah, I mean, sorry, Fergal, you're going to have to get your cliche bell out, but it's massive bing, bing, wake bing, up. Bing. It's a massive wake-up call, isn't it, for, <laughs> for Villa? I'm sorry, mate. I, tried, I almost went the whole episode without making you do that. Um, but it is, I mean, you've obviously had this amazing start with that unbelievable result against uh, Liverpool, but... The, the result against Leeds, the performance against Leeds has shown there's a lot of work to be done. There is an over-reliance on, um, on Jack Grealish, as you said, um, and that was that was almost their undoing last season. If we're being brutally honest, there was times when when he didn't or he was marked out of the game or he was struggling. That was like, well, that was it. That was Villa dealt with. So they need other players to step up. They can't just be relying on him. And also, you know, it's not his fault that that his, the defense concedes three goals at home. So you know, it's um, it's one of those games where, yeah. It's a bit of a shot to the system, but they have to put it in perspective. They've had a good start. They've had a solid start. There's a lot of positives there for them to take. Some of the results they've had this season, as I mentioned, you know, Liverpool game and um, the um, was it Leicester game as well. Um, you know, real positives there you can take from that. But they've got to be wary because it's so easy and it can happen so quickly that you lose one or two games, well, two or three games, and you start dropping down the table. And what's was shaping up to a busy season where you can start looking at the top half and thinking about those sort of things before you know it and I know it sounds melodramatic for a club that are sitting where they are in the table I think the third but before you know it you're back in a relegation fight and that's what Villa are want to avoid Okay, predicting a big slip. Um, one team that probably doesn't need a big slip to go down. The, the already look in massive trouble is is Fulham. Rob, another defeat two one. Uh, sorry, two one at home to Crystal Palace. And Scott Parker, you can almost copy and paste his post game press conferences because he he see he has the face of a, a man that is absolutely worn out, and his players seem worn out because they haven't had a pre season. Um, it it just seems to be going from bad to worse and, and against the Palace team that are absolutely experts and when they get in front they can hold on to a lead um, the writing really looks on the wall for Parker doesn't it? Yeah I think if Fulham comes 17th this year it'll be like winning the Champions League for them you know it's all, it would be like a huge achievement when you actually look at who they've bought and what they decided to do over the summer you're right no pre-seasons really hurt them and they're going to come up against savvy teams like Palace who know what to do in these situations who know to be economical and play to their style, know how to hurt opponents without actually doing too much, you know, on the counter or actually moving the ball through their main players. And I think you saw that really in that match and that, that Fulham just do not have the weapons to maybe deal with the vast majority of the Premier League. So I, I can see them going down this season. And, and you saw with Palace, you know, they've just they've just found a style, haven't they, to be able to work what they've got and to, to base their team around Wilfred Zaha and actually go out and get victories. 
Um, and the final game that we're covering on the show is Wolves against Newcastle. Jay, this managed to have two goals in it and still be more boring than Manchester United against Chelsea. Um, but as both of them came in the last 10 minutes and they were the only real efforts on target, Wolves will be fuming about this. Raul Jimenez scores on 82 minutes. They look home and dry for a third successive 1-0 one, uh, win. And then Jacob Murphy, who... Marley, if you're listening, you can tell me if he's you know, able to bang these free kicks in in training. I've never seen him do something like this in a Newcastle shirt. This is annoying for, for Wolves when you think they're just kind of getting a bit of a head of steam going again and clicking back into the 2019-20 Wolves to then be pegged back and, and drop two points in, in a game that they should be winning. Yeah, I mean, it did, they obviously had a difficult start in this season and people thinking, you know, what is going on with Wolves and then as you mentioned there you know back to back wins and it looks like alright oh, okay Wolves are, are, are getting back to the, the Wolves we've come to expect nowadays and then to drop two points is, is going to be disappointing especially against the Newcastle team who you know aren't the best if we've been you know being honest they, they've got some decent players and they've had an okay start to the season but you know, Wolves would have been looking at this and thinking this is three points in the bag and it's so it should be. So yeah, gonna be disappointing, but I don't think you can look too much into it. Like I think this all ties in and I think it ties in with Wolves as well. Everything the sort of narrative we've had throughout this and Rob's mentioned it a few times and rightly so is this this the teams that are still feeling the effects of last season. It was such a crazy time last season when you had all these games crammed together. You didn't have a real preseason. You, you know, some teams like Wolves and, and, and others had to go into the Europa and things like that where there was there was more football to play and I think it's taken teams a little while to get sort of back to, to, to where they were and that's sort of accounting for, for Wolves' starts of the, this season and I think today you know it wasn't a great game two goals I mean I actually thought I know everyone was going on about Raleigh Menezes' goal and how great it was I thought it keeps them a little bit better than being honest um, but I think yeah they're looking I think two points drop but I don't think you have to look too much into this I think Wolves are getting there and I think they'll move on and I expect Wolves to be challenging in the sort of at least the top six come the end of the season. Ever the uh, tough taskmaster there, Jay Motti, <laughs> speaking speaking about the perpetually Manchester United linked Raul Jimenez. Uh, gents, we're going to call it there for the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. Jay, Rob, thank you so much. Thanks for having us Thanks again, a lot. mate. Appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. And don't forget, if you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new podcast every single day. The guys will be back tomorrow previewing Monday's games and also reviewing Leicester City against Arsenal. That's all from today's show, though, and we'll catch you again very, very soon. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.